Exploring life in fun and meaningful ways, faith, family, culture at the heart of it. Our guest is uh, that's about to join us has explored telling other people's stories because apparently um, she must have been one of the few people that in 2020 was thrown a little bit off kilter, to use a little bit of the lowest form of wit. I think we might have an understanding of the year 2020. Uh, Melissa Doyle has been on our te- television sets for a long time, affectionately known to many as Mel, who joins us right now. Hello, how are you? Luke, I'm really well. How are you? Well, super and improving. And it was it was so interesting to see you back on the couch with Koshi recently. And, you know, despite <laughs> all the all the written things about the you know, the full name, he was just straight into Mel. It was it was just like old mates just sitting on a couch again. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's like a kid, isn't it? You get your full name when you're in trouble. <laughs> so when your parents ring you with Melissa, it's like, oh Lord, what have I done? So yeah, that never changes. And of course, I, I sarcastically approach 2020 because it's a year we need to mock because otherwise it kind of probably makes us makes us a little bit tearful. But it was for not every, it was it wasn't bad for everybody, but it was very off axis for everybody. Yeah, we were all discombobulated. I feel like yeah. that's my favourite word. Yeah. You know that that everybody felt it in some way. Some people to many different degrees. You know, some people more intensely than others. Some people were at home and enjoying lockdown and life resumed as normal. For other people, it was totally thrown off kilter. And I think we've all, you know, who would have thought a couple of years ago that we would live through a global pandemic? I did. And we were at a point in 2020 where, you know, some of the experts were saying, oh, this is going to last three years. And others were saying, oh, hopefully it'll be over in six months. And we just didn't know. And and I think, you know, I was exactly the same as everybody else, just that kind of state of what on earth is going on. So hence being a journo, of course, I wrote about it. <laughs> well, well, I find it interesting because a lot of the stories that you feature in this book, 15 Seconds of Brave, um, are pretty intense. And some of them are in the normal curve that we can relate to and some are so out of our realm of existence. And, and I know that at times when you're feeling like you're struggling or you're not sure and you need some hope, I can understand wanting to go to the hope side. But to get to the hope side, you've mm-hmm. got to dig deep into the pain and the torment that yeah. many of these people went through. What was that part of the process like for you? The stories, some of them were really, or well, most of them were really, really intense. But I, I did it because I wanted it to be real. You know, when you, people are going through something and it doesn't, you don't have to compare it to somebody else. You know, it's all relative. When you're in the moment, it's heavy for the person going through it. But I just didn't want it to be one of those naff, feel-good calendar things that tell you that, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow and life will be okay because sometimes I think that just doesn't cut it. So I thought that I wanted the stories to be real and everybody in this book shares the really hard bits as well as the hope, the resilience, the wisdom, all of those wonderful things that we needed to hear but I think before they get there, they're realistic about how difficult it was. And, yeah, you mentioned they're all very, very different experiences, different stories that I hoped that way that somebody reading it would take a little bit from maybe one person, maybe more. But I tried to, to have a range of experiences that, you know, sometimes hearing wisdom from someone who's been some, through something so harrowing that you can't relate doesn't necessarily resonate sometimes it is the simple things but I just wanted it to be real I didn't want to have people giving me wisdom that just didn't 
cut it for me. One of the things that really struck me that as a chord that went through a bunch of the stories that I've explored that you wrote about is choice. And that, and so often yeah. in our pain, we are we feel powerless. But the story of many of these who have overcome, whether it be the boy who says, "I'm going to choose to have 15 seconds of brave," which is what the book was was named after, or you know, the the the, the girl Grace, I believe it was in um, Grace, child yes. child bride and labor, who said, "I choose to not let them." sort of dictate my happiness right now to a choice to forgive those who yeah. took the life of your family members. There, there's a lot of choice in, involved in this hope. And, you know, it, it's it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it and, and walk the talk. And these people do. Um, and I think that was the theme that I got through it, from writing the book and from talking to everybody is what actually happened to them was out of their control. That for most people, you mentioned Grace. Grace was a 12-year-old girl abducted by the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda and made into a child soldier and a child bride and had to live through five years of absolute horror. And to come from that experience and to then say, I have the power over my own emotions, I choose to be happy, that to me still gives me goosebumps. That it's it's all well and good for, for me for maybe you to say, I choose to be happy today, but someone who's been through what Grace has been through, to have the power to say that and reclaim that, I found was incredibly strong. So, yeah, they all they all are in their honesty about saying it wasn't always easy to get to that point, but this is how I choose to go forward. Um, incredible learnings. You seem to be spending a lot of your time right now exploring the depth of people's stories, whether it be this is your life, whether it be this book. Like Compare that to your time, say, on Sunrise, where you probably get five minutes at, at, a, at a good stint with, <laughs> with an interview that's only so deep you can go. Yes, and it's all storytelling. I mean, that's what I love more than anything. I feel so privileged that people have trusted me with their stories, whether it's five minutes on live breakfast television, whether it's an in-depth sit-down on Sunday night, whether it's a long-form number of interviews for a book like this. But I feel like it's what we as humans do. It's what connects us. And, you know, I'm sure you're like me. I have a bad day. The first thing I do is ring my bestie and have a vent or you ring your family and you want to talk about it. You know, we share our experiences and our feelings and that's just we've done it since the beginning of time when we've sat around a campfire. You know, it's kind of what we do so in any form that I can do it I'm happy I feel that I'm the conduit for the people in this book and I'm the one that is getting the opportunity to put their voice into the universe they've just told their stories through me and I've bundled it all up between a couple of covers and and being able to put it out in the world but you know they're all amazing people who I'm just so proud to know and and humbled by what yeah. they've gone through and what they're still going through when you were hearing the stories and, and exploring them, I imagine there were times where there were, where there were tears. You're a journalist and so a part of what you have to do is sort of put a little bit of a wall up so that you can cope through some of the difficult things, but you don't want to lose that. You want to feel it. You want to tell the story without it being cold. But then you go back and revisit and you have to write and redraft and then retell. How has the emotion been and how many times has the wall broken down for you? Oh, I constantly cry and I hope I never stop. I feel if ever I put a wall up, if ever I don't feel as deeply affected as I do, then it's probably time to hang up the hat and go do something else. Um, I read the audio book and I cried again, you know, particularly the last two chapters, Danny and Kat. 
I had to stop and regroup. Um, absolutely. And and it's interesting because when we were doing the interviews, a couple of them were done over the period of, gosh, probably 12 to 18 months because sometimes I'd have an interview scheduled and one of my talent would say, look, I just can't do it today. I'm not in a good place to talk about these things because, you know, that's going back and digging into their past. You know, it's, it's kind of taking the scab off an old wound and I felt that I had to be really, really gentle with everybody and if they weren't in a place strong enough to talk about it on a particular day, then we didn't. Um, Grace in particular was really open about saying, "If I when I go there, it sets me back. I have a couple of days where you know, I'm in a little bit of a dark place. So I felt my duty of care to everybody in the book was paramount. Um, and there are some things we don't cover, particularly in Grace's story. There are areas where it, I didn't need to go. It didn't feel right. It was respectful to leave those out so I, I I really tried to look after everybody really carefully and gently because I was very very aware that we were talking about trigger points in their life that you know they had to be in the right place to, to want to go back there again what's interesting for me as I was exploring you on social media and you were, you were talking about a thing that in media we understand this whole concept of a media tour when someone's written a book when they've released something their PR people then book you wall to wall from one interview to the next and you just <laughs> keep backing up and, and on Sunrise your job then, very rock star. yeah <laughs> well it's, it's interesting because on Sunrise your job is to, to keep them at their best even though you're you know in the rung of they've been days or they've been weeks on the road and you sort of trying to, to keep them to, to be pepped up and, and in these moments, you're on the other side of that equation. How, how do you how do you like the other side? Oh, I'd much rather be where you are right now asking <laughs> the questions. Always, always, it's so much easier than having to answer them. Um, but I think in this regard, I'm still talking about other people. I'm still yeah. talking about stories. It, it, the book's not about me. The book is about the talent and the stories that they share of their lives. So, yeah, I, I keep reminding myself how lucky I am to be able to speak on their behalf and ensure that readers, listeners get to hear these stories. Um, and, you know, the other thing too for me that I learnt in writing this book is perspective. You know, even even on my worst days, I'm still doing okay. So if on this tour I ever have a moment where you think, oh, gosh, I'm a little tired or something. God, suck it up, Doyle, as I tell myself. Um, it, it's, it's perspective, and I think that's probably something that really came out of writing this book for me. Well, And, and it's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because you don't you, you can have this perspective and go, you know, it's not, it's not as bad as what it feels right now, but you don't want to ever dismiss the pain that you're going through because that could be equally as unhealthy no. as wallowing in it. Yeah. And you never need to never want to compare. That's the yeah. other thing because it's all relative, isn't it? When someone's going through something for them at that moment in time, that's the most intense thing. So this this in no way diminishes other people's experience. In no way do I compare them. It's simply this is the experience and the story that Grace went through. This is what happened in her life. This is how she handled it, and this is what she's learnt that might be able to help you or me and this is the next person's story this is Aurelio's story and what he experienced and so forth and so forth and I think you know even reading it they're all very very different eight different people eight totally different experiences we talk about mental illness we talk about addiction we talk about grief abduction you know they're all so incredibly different and I, I hope that for a reader that needs that little sense of 
hope, strength, bravery, courage, whatever it might be, even if they just take one tiny snippet from one tiny person in this yeah. book, then our job is done. You know, everybody said to me, I'm I'm happy to do it and to share because I hope that my story can help just one person. Yeah. So I think that's the the aim and, and I hope it I hope it happens. Well the beauty of it is uh, I was thinking about this from a, an old cricket cliche when you know someone would, would get an edge of a bat and the ball would you know be dropped and then it would go down for four and it looked like the most horrible way to bring up a hundred but the score the score sheet never shows how they got the runs. They just show that they got the runs. And I and, and yeah. when I was thinking about this from the trauma, the, the the life score sheet never shows it doesn't matter how you got the trauma. Once it's on the score sheet it's equal like it's the same. Like if, if I've got grief, it's whether it's from a child slavery yeah. or, or abduction or murder or whether it's from someone said something that was painful and hurt me, there's no comparison. The score sheet doesn't dictate. You've now got trauma and hurt that you have to overcome. Absolutely. That is a really beautiful way to explain it. And, and I think it's also learning those lessons from somebody who has been through something that you have a moment of going, you know what, if – if grace can say, I choose to be happy, then hopefully that will let somebody yeah. else have that perspective of saying, okay, I choose to be happy. Not in any way diminishing what they've been through or comparing it, as you say, but it's it's the lesson that comes out of it that I hope she can share. And if it comes from someone so powerful, mm-hmm. then that makes it, I think, even stronger. And to, to wrap up the title of the book, and you've been telling this story, and it's well worth just sitting on it for a second because it's another you know, child's yeah. articulation of choice when it comes to the title of 15 Seconds of Brave and the young boy that inspired it. Yeah, I had a, another working title, and then I got to writing Noah's story. Little Noah Barlow was born with a terminal illness, and his mum and dad were told that they didn't know how long he would have to live, and he's still going strong at 12. He's school captain. He's an awesome kid. But every single day they call it living grief. It's, you know, they're on borrowed time. They don't know how long he has. And his mum, Kat, is extraordinary in her optimism and her the way they live their life. But little Noah, every time he's got to go to the doctor or the hospital or have a needle or any sort of operation, you know, he's a kid, he's scared, fair enough. And he says to his mum, but I can find 15 seconds to be brave. And then Kat says, well, what if it takes longer than 15 seconds? And he says, well, I can probably find another 15 seconds, but that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. And I thought if a little kid going through that can find it in himself to be brave for 15 seconds, then may we all. As we wrap up, what I love is that in the midst of this uncertainty, you searched for hope. And in the midst of searching for hope, you then search for the opportunity to bring that to the rest of us. And that's what you've done by telling this story in 15 Seconds of Brave. Melissa Doyle, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you, Luke. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much.